are continuing this morning in the Gospel of Matthew. Well, I hope you appreciate um, that for the last eight weeks at King's Church Darlington, you have been treated to the greatest preaching ever heard. Amen. And I'm not a hasten to add referring to the uh, offerings from Michael and Phil and Paul uh, and Chris and myself. I mean, of course, Jesus's imperious Sermon on the Mount that we have been following together. And eight weeks it took us to, to get through it. And Matthew, as we saw last week, ends his report of what Jesus said in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of his gospel with this telling observation. He says this, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. And in every century and in every culture, what strikes people, male and female, old and young alike, about Jesus's teaching is its authority. It's authority. What Jesus says has weight, it has gravitas. And for millennia now, people have been impressed and impacted by its clarity and its distinctiveness, its greatness. And when these words were first spoken, Matthew 5 to 7, no one had ever heard anything like it before. And for the next two chapters, chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew, Matthew abruptly changes focus. And what we find there, Matthew 8 and 9, is that Jesus' authority is not just heard in the words he speaks. It is demonstrated in the things he does. Ten miracles packed into just four pages of your Bible. And people sit up and they take notice of his authority over disease and over sickness and over the demonic and over the elements, and even over death. In fact, Matthew explicitly makes the point uh, in chapter 9 that when the crowd saw these things, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given what? Such authority. There's that word again, authority to men. Well, today we're going to read from chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. This is what it says. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. 
I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you for the amazing things we find there. And we pray now that you will fill this place with your holy presence. Be our teacher. Impact us, Lord, with what you have to bring from heaven to earth through this passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so although Matthew has already mentioned as a general statement in chapter 4, almost as an aside, that Jesus healed many, these three healings I've just read to you are in fact the first miracles that Matthew actually describes in detail. We have to get to chapter 8 before he describes a miracle. And the first one is highly significant because a leper in the first century Middle East, was basically a dead man walking. Leviticus 13 in the Old Testament, setting out the kind of public health measures for leprosy, says this, the leper must live alone and outside the camp. Lepers were totally quarantined from society. They were strictly forbidden from having any contact with anyone. So they lived with this kind of extreme and permanent social distancing. Remember that social distancing? That was their life. It was a terrifying illness. And from the first ominous telltale signs, the disease gradually spread across the skin. And as it did, the sense of feel, the sense of touch would fade before disappearing completely. And then all sensation would go in the limbs inch by inch as parts of the body would become disfigured and then fall off. And there was no known cure. If you had leprosy, you braced yourself for the inevitable. It was only a matter of time before the grim reaper would be knocking at your door. Some of you know the uh, TV series, The Chosen. This is how this scene I've just read is dramatized in that. Not to spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's a leopard. 
stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 Please. Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. Seek your own honor. Please just do me this one thing. Uh, but what do I tell people? Go. Show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Uh, uh. Who has an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color. <laughs> Not too shabby. <laughs> okay, I hope you appreciated that. I'm hoping to show one or two more clips from that uh, series over the next few months. Well, the leper stands for the one who is ostracized, who is shunned. That came out really well in the little clip, doesn't it? Nobody wants uh, to be near them. The leper is the friendless, the one who is rejected. The leper is utterly hopeless and helpless. If you're willing, he says, looking at Jesus, if you are willing, I know you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am I am willing. Isn't that wonderful? However bad things get, Jesus is always willing to bring transformation and restoration.
The law of Moses stipulated that anyone cured of leprosy had to get it checked out by a priest. But nobody ever did. It never happened. Because nobody ever actually got healed from this. No priest ever got to use his leprosy inspection training. Never got to put it to use. I would love to have seen the priest's face who saw that man when this guy turned up to get examined. Only yesterday, his skin had been white and powdery and flaky and gnarled. It had the smell of decay. It had the color of death. And yet here he is before the priest. His skin is soft. His color has returned. Its youthful smoothness is restored. And this man can be with people again. He can see his family again. He's no longer an outcast. He's no longer somebody to be avoided. He's no longer unwanted. Well, leprosy is treatable now, thank God. But there is another disease in our day which is very much like it. It's contagious. It's terrifying. Doctors can do nothing about it. It always ends in death. I'm talking about sin. Sin is an incurable disease, and we all have it. And like leprosy, sin doesn't go away if we ignore it. In fact, it spreads, and it gets worse. And Jesus is the only one who can take it away. Those of you who are parents or have been parents of small children, this is the time of year when you get that note from school. Remember this? Telling you to go through your offspring's head and check for lice. Remember those letters? And what you have to do that. And what parent ever says, ah, look at this magnificent creature? Pediculosis capitis, it's called. Resistant to almost everything, the head lice. Thriving by burrowing into my children's scalp and drinking their blood. What a fascinating ecosystem this is. No one says that. No, we carefully comb out the head lice and their eggs and we crush the eggs. I've done this myself. Crush the eggs between your fingers and the comb. And in the same way, we need to ask God by his spirit to comb through our soul, to show us if there are any persistent patterns of sin so that we can repent and so receive the cleansing blood of Christ. And welcome the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can live a transformed life. Only the Lord can take away our sin and restore us to real living. And whenever we go to him in faith and say to him, Lord, however grubby I'm feeling spiritually, I know you can do it. I know you can do it. I know you can heal me. He removes shame. He gives us our life back. Do you need the touch of Christ on your life today? Is there anything foul that you need his cleansing power to remove? Now, Nicky Gumbel of the Alpha Course once interviewed a man called A.J. Gohill. And um, this man, A.J., he, he spoke of how he was uh, brought up as a, a young boy. He was brought up a Hindu, and he worked with his family uh, in the family newsagent shop in North London. 
And this man, at the age of 21, just 21, he contracted a chronic skin disease called erythmodermic psoriasis. And uh, contracting this, his weight dropped from 73 kilos, which is pretty average, just down to 47. It's a 35% decrease in weight. His disease was all over his body from head to toe. He lost all his friends. His family rejected him, and he wanted to die. And as this man uh, was uh, wasting away in hospital, he cried out to God, the God he didn't know, and he looked in his locker, hospital locker, and he found a Bible there. And he just opened it up, never opened the Bible before in his life. He opened it up at Psalm 38, which says this, my, uh, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome. There is no health in my body. My heart pounds, my strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and my companions avoid me because of my wounds. I am about to fall and my pain is ever with me. Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quick to help me, my Lord and my Savior. And every verse that he read described exactly his condition and circumstances. So he prayed, he reached out to the Lord, that the Lord Jesus would heal him. And then he fell into a deep sleep. Next morning, he woke up completely healed. Skin was new like a baby's. And his pain was gone. And then he was reunited with his family. And he said in that interview with Nicky Gumbel, he said this, every day now, I live for Jesus. What a transformation. So Jesus heals today. Well, Jesus goes on his way, and eventually he enters his adopted town of Capernaum. And as he's just entering the, the town, the village, uh, a Roman centurion approaches him, a Roman officer. And he speaks to Jesus, and he talks about someone he knows who is dangerously ill. He's lying back at home. He's is uh, paralyzed, is suffering terribly. And whatever this condition is, he cannot move and he is in a lot of pain. We don't know this man's name. We're not told his age. We're not told where he's from or how long he's been unwell. We know nothing about him really, apart from his for centurion servant. We just know he's his personal assistant of this man of military rank stationed in that town. A centurion is a commander of about 100 men um, and is roughly equivalent in the British Army uh, rankings to a sergeant major. So he's got a bit of clout about him. We don't know the centurion's name either. We're never told. But we can assume that we, we can assume a little bit more about him than we can about his assistants. Because centurions, we know from Roman literature, were selected for their bravery. And they had to lead from the front. They had to inspire their men by example. So they suffered because they led from the front. They suffered heavy casualties in battle. The Roman military manual, Dure Militari, says this. The centurion in the infantry is chosen for his size, strength, and dexterity in throwing his missile weapons like a spear, and for his skill in the use of his sword and shield, in short, for his expertise in all the exercises 
He is to be vigilant, temperate, active, and readier to execute the orders he receives than he is to talk. This is the guy in our story, Brutus Maximus. That's the sort of type of guy he is. And this particular centurion seems to be quite unusual from what we know about who they were. Centurions, by their size, by their strength, by their fearlessness, could strike fear in their subordinates and often did. But not this one. This one is different. This one goes out of his way, out of concern for his loyal servants. This is not just some minion he can dispense with and get another one. So this is a warrior with a kind heart. Jesus says, verse 7, shall I come and heal him? And the reply of this man is astounding. See, Roman soldiers could make you walk a mile with their stuff, carrying their stuff for them. They carried lethal weapons on them to enforce their orders. They were in charge and they made sure you understood who was boss. They were arrogant and they held the losers in whose land they occupied in contempt. But this guy says, looks at Jesus, he says, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Now this centurion will almost certainly have had experience in battle. I imagine this guy as a tough guy, tall, with rough hands, maybe scars on his face. Men in their prime would put their lives on the line for him. He's a fighter. He's a man's man. But he looks at Jesus and says, you are the real leader around here. I've got a hundred guys who call me sir. But you have got thousands in crowds coming to hear you and see you. You're a higher rank than I am, Jesus. You don't need to lower yourself to come to my humble abode. That's amazing. Amazing attitude. And then he says something else equally remarkable in verse 9. I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing here. He says, basically says to Jesus, look, I'm a leader. I know how this works. I give orders every day. I don't need to ask nicely. I just say something. I say to my guys, jump, and they all jump without questioning. So Jesus, you only need to give the command to heal, and it's as good as done because you're the boss. You can give this sickness in my assistant, it's marching orders, at the double, quick march, off you go, and it will be done for you. It will have to obey you because you have authority. Centurion knows that he has a right to give orders because he himself is under Caesar's command. So he gets it that Jesus' authority comes from Jesus submitting himself to his Father in heaven. Now I know and I've known Christians over my time as a believer with an amazing testimony, fantastic testimony. God has done wonderful things in their hearts and lives. They can be gifted natural communicators, natural leaders, but they're nowhere in ministry at the moment because they are accountable to nobody. God will entrust you with authority and capacity 
in ministry in proportion to your willingness to let godly people speak into your life. That's the way it works. To let godly people lead you. Who needs to come under the authority of God today to grow in their spiritual anointing? Is that you? Well, only twice in the gospel does it ever say that Jesus marveled, that Jesus was amazed. He marveled in Nazareth, his hometown, at his own people, people brought up in the synagogue, brought up in church, familiar with it all. He marveled because of their unbelief, the Bible says. But here he marvels at the incredible faith of a complete outsider to the people of God. He looks at the crowd around him, Jesus here, all of them observant Jews, and he says, I've never seen faith like this among my people, our people, in my whole life. This guy, this outsider, understands faith more than all of you do. Some of us maybe here have uh, friends like that servant, that centurion's servant. You've got a friend, someone you know who's out for the count, low on hope, sick, exhausted with it all, in need of a miracle. I'll be like this centurion this morning. Go to Jesus in faith and expectation for your friend. Go to Jesus. Bring it to him. Well, our passage today has found Jesus on a typically busy day. And in 13 short verses, Jesus walks down a mountain, gets mobbed by a crowd, cleanses a leper, teaches as he goes without notes, and he heals a paralyzed man from a distance, all the time while on the move, traveling from A to B. So before Jesus gets to bed that night, after darkness has fallen, verse 16 tells us that people bring many demon-possessed individuals to him. What a day. And in each case, it says Jesus drives out the evil spirits. He heals those who are sick with a word. That's what you call putting in a shift, isn't it? That's a busy day right there. So you can appreciate why even the Son of God might appreciate unwinding down a little bit, a cold drink, something to eat at the end of that exhausting day. So in verse 14... When he turns up at Peter's house, you'd think his heart might sink as he arrives at this house, his adopted home, and is met with yet more need. Need. All eyes turn toward the room where Peter's mother-in-law is in bed, coughing, white as a sheet, suffering from a fever. Luke in his gospel recounts the same story. He calls it a high fever. The commentaries suggest it was possibly malaria. So here's another trip for, uh, clip from The Chosen, and this is how they dramatize this scene. A fever respect. Her forehead burns my hand to the touch. We should get a doctor. There is no need.
Who are you? This is Jesus of Nazareth. You've never met him before. Welcome to my son-in-law's home. Thank you. What am I doing lying here? You had a terrible fever. And all of you staring down. Dasha, don't... No one move. I'll be right back with some drinks. And here, here, cut from this fire. Coming. Let's see. Dry and butter for diamond, pomegranate arrows, goat cheese. Does your friend like goat cheese? Yes, I love goat cheese. He touched her hand. Now, in British Sign Language, some of you may know this, the name Jesus is represented by pointing to the hands. So you say Jesus, pointing hands. The hands that were open to bless, the hands that broke bread and multiplied them, the hands that touched untouchables, the hands that welcomed outcasts and healed infectious diseases. How telling is it that the minute Peter's poorly mother-in-law has the sweat wiped from her brow, she's up on her feet going around with the goat's cheese and the hummus and whatever else she was giving the people there. I want to commend this woman, Peter's mother-in-law. She's great. Because her response, her immediate response to Jesus' touch on her life is to get moving, put her apron on, bring refreshment and blessing to everyone around her. Her response to a work of grace is to serve. Think of all the times the Lord has blessed you, all the ways in which your heart has been touched by God's love. And think of all the ways that you could express how grateful you are by serving others in love. Well, we've been reflecting these last couple of months on Jesus' authority to teach. Today, as we said, we've looked at his authority to heal. The leper, he shows that Jesus is willing to meet rejected and excluded and disfigured souls and with a touch of grace, bring them beauty and community. Again, the centurion, he shows us that Jesus hears the cries of people who come to him with a heavy heart about their loved ones. With a word of faith, Jesus brings peace to heavy hearts and relief of suffering. The mother-in-law, she shows us that Jesus brings life to those who are out for the count. And with a word of faith and a touch of grace, he sets them free to serve. So these stories, they're not just about them, they're also about us. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus is the same, the Bible says, yesterday, today and forever.